O God, who instructs the hearts of your faithful by the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit to be truly wise and to live as your people in the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This weekend was the 185th convention of the Diocese of Indianapolis. For those to whom the word diocese is new, a diocese is all the parishes and missions or congregations within a particular geographic region or culture that report to the same bishop. As a diocese, our mission statement is that we are grounded in God's love in Christ. The Episcopal Diocese of Indianapolis and its people serve as beacons of Christ in central and southern Indiana and beyond, that we offer a generous welcome and invitation, that we stand with the marginalized and vulnerable to transform systems of injustice, that we connect with other Episcopalians, ecumenical, ecumenical and interfaith partners and advocacy groups, and that we develop clergy and laity to lead the church of today and tomorrow. Along with four lay representatives from our church, Lee, Peter, Nick, and Louise, I, Brendan, and Tyler met together with other clergy and lay leaders from Episcopal churches in central and southern Indiana to pray, to worship, to learn, to care for diocesan business, to reckon with our past, to promote equity, and build relationships, and that's quite a lot to do in a day and a half. All the work revolved around the theme, gather, transform, send, as a way to live out our purpose in the world as followers of Jesus Christ. Under gather, we explored how people initially connect with the church, that 85% come through personal invitation. So when you share your faith, it matters. For 15%, that's not the way we got here. Like some of those watching online, I came to the Episcopal Church by a seemingly random online search, and I knew no one. Yet, God in his mercy, here I am. We explored how we greet and orient people what does our welcome look like that is authentic to who we are as All Saints? Our liturgy is beautiful and often breathtakingly so, but it can be complicated and require a high level of literacy. Our bulletins guide us in standing and sitting and using the BCP, which is the Book of Common Prayer, and our hymnal. But we also bow our heads, kneel, profoundly bow with our bodies in prayer and cross ourselves Maybe a short class or an adult forum about that could be helpful. We looked at how we incorporate people into this body gathered. If someone wanted to sign up for coffee hour, would they know what to do? Would they know that pledging is also an act of belonging? And of course, we'll be talking more about that soon. In our mission statement, we believe that something happens to us in our worship of God. In word and sacrament, we are transformed, assisted by bells and smells, by color, by music and movement. 
and then we are sent out to share God's love with the world. It is a beautiful world, and it is also filled with systems that are unjust where we can make a difference. Injustice is as old as time, and Jesus was willing to confront the religious leaders of his day when their questions ignored the needs of the people involved. In the gospel, Jesus is questioned yet again by people in power. These Sadducees confront Jesus, and they devise an argument that the listeners of that day would have recognized as a ludicrous scenario, where a woman is made a widow not once, not twice, but seven times, and then asked whose wife would she be later. The texts note that this Jewish sect, the Sadducees, did not believe in the resurrection, and perhaps you were taught like I was how to tell the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee. Okay, well, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, but the Sadducees did not, and that made them sad, you see. Yeah. But it actually goes deeper than that. In not believing in a resurrection, that there was no afterlife, it meant that God would never bring justice. That if justice did not occur in this life, it would never happen. That in death, evil empires and systems would have the last word. That this present physical mortal life was the only place that existed where God was at work. But Jesus opened them up to a broader idea that stretches across the temporal to the eternal. While marrying your husband's brothers seems strange to us, they were referring to the Leverite marriage from the laws of Moses according to Deuteronomy. In their patriarchal society, for a man to die without offspring meant his name and his lineage, his memory also died. And the woman without a husband or a child was extremely vulnerable to poverty and exploitation. To protect his line and the widow, she was given, she had no say, to be married again within the family to the next brother in line. And the children of the second union was considered to be the child of the first husband so that his line did not die out, even though he was raised technically by his uncle. We see that related to in the story of Ruth that has a kinsman redeemer and of Tamar the one in Genesis 38. In this scenario, the widow is little more than property, passed from brother to brother to brother to brother, and so on. But Jesus puts a stop to that line of thinking. In the kingdom that is to come, people are not property to be passed from one person or one system to another. People do not, people do not need to be protected from exploitation because it would no longer exist that there is a difference in the kingdom of God. Jesus hints at what that life can be like. While we live in this world, we do not live according to the standards of this world. They're much too low. We received a higher calling in our baptism and are in continual transformation to be more like the Christ that we serve, who has marked us as his own forever, rather than the base society that surrounds us. Around us are the voices of people who are crying out for the basics of health care, nutritious needs, me, nutritious meals, clean air, clean water, decent housing, safety, love, 
and stability. It reminds me of Job, for justice is as old as time. When the passage of Job was read, did you hear a little bit of Handel's Messiah, I know that my Redeemer lives? Or maybe you heard our burial rite. But Job's friends would not have heard it that way at all. Oh, that my words were written down. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and with lead they were engraved in a rock forever. Job is laying out a legal case. He is venting his fury and frustration at God. It's a plea concerning the injustice that has befallen him, where he has lost everything. It is a cry, a cry so serious that not only is it spoken, but he said this should be written down in a book. And even that's not enough. It needs to be etched in stone. He knew he needed a redeemer, a vindicator, someone who would advocate on his behalf. And now thousands of years later, injustice still occurs and we have a redeemer. We have an advocate. We have a vindicator. But not everybody knows. Unless we are willing to share the good news of Jesus Christ, they will never know how much God loves them. Unless we pray, unless we give, unless we vote, they will never know. We are sent as messengers of reconciliation, of hope, of love. We are beacons for social change with a very rich history to build upon. We are elegant and we are scrappy as a congregation, founded on the Anglo-Catholic principles that beautiful worship and social change go hand in hand. As Bishop Jennifer mentioned in her address yesterday, compared to many other Christian voices, we are small, but we are fierce. We know that God loves all of us, is present with us, and has a different view for the world than is portrayed in much of the media. So let's do all we can by working, by praying, by living, by action, so that we can get that message out.